Hey everybody, welcome to episode 69 of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mirkatani. I'm Andy Hamilton, coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum. Joined on the phone by the czar of the track wrestling rankings, David Mirkatani, coming to you from St. Louis. Welcome in, David. Thanks a lot, Andy. How are you doing? Doing great. Yourself? I'm good. It's uh, I'm going to go to the state tournament this weekend and getting three and a half weeks out from my charity event and all kinds of fun stuff. It's it's the most magical time of the year, right, for folk-style fans anyway? Yeah, absolutely. The snow's starting to melt up here a little bit. The sun's out. State tournament week uh, for both of us, Iowa uh, yeah. this week, Missouri this week. A uh, bunch of state tournaments that are going to be streamed live on track wrestling this week. It's, you know, as I mentioned last week, it's my favorite time of the year. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I think that sentiment is echoed by a vast, vast majority of the people, 100%. Well, we got a lot to talk about, David. We have a uh, ton of interesting stuff that happened this past weekend on the college mats. Uh, probably the wildest weekend of the season that we've seen so far two number ones fell we had uh i think three unbeatens um actually two more unbeatens that went down a uh, returning ncaa finalist stumbled uh lots of changes inside the the team rankings too lots of movement there so uh michigan made a big move uh in the team ranks um you know, Arizona State came back into the top 10. We're going to take a run through those uh, top 10 of the track wrestling Resolite rankings. But first, we need to give a shout out to our sponsors from Resolite. This podcast is sponsored by Resolite Sports Products, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats from Resolite Zip Mat, the first and only tape free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system to Resolite's exclusive digiprint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. Well, David, as I mentioned, lots of changes inside the top 10 of the track wrestling rankings. We're going to take a quick run through those now. Uh, at the top, Penn State remains number one with 117 and a half NCAA projected advancement and placement points. Number two, Ohio State checking in at 109, Iowa in third at 80, Missouri in fourth at 75. Michigan, as I mentioned, makes a move up to fifth with 73 and a half points. North Carolina State in 6th with 61, Lehigh in 7th with 57, Oklahoma State in 8th with 45.5, Virginia Tech in 9th with 39, and Arizona State coming back into the top 10 at number 10 with 38.5. And And we saw, as I mentioned, two changes at the top in the individual rankings. Adam Kuhn taking over as the number one heavyweight, Isaiah Martinez regaining the top spot for the first time since last year uh, at 165 pounds as a result uh, that's why you saw Michigan one of the reasons you saw Michigan make a move uh, also Stevan Micic making a move up the charts at 133 and then Illinois with Imar in his move from second to first Illinois bumps up to 13th in the team rankings David before we get too far down the path, we're going to dive into the individual rankings. But uh, first, I want to give another shout-out to another sponsor we got on board this week. Yes, sir. Uh, FantasyGrade.com and the Ultimate Fantasy Wrestling Challenge. They want to know if you know more about wrestling than your friends and people from around the country. If so, prove it. Go to FantasyGrade.com, enter the live event on March 14th in Cleveland, Ohio, the online event, or both. Prove your knowledge and support amateur wrestling at the same time. Go to fantasygrade.com today and enjoy wrestling even more. And what's interesting about the rankings, um, about a month ago, you guys helped me make the rankings, actually inputting them a lot easier. One of the tangents of that is I don't actually know what the team rankings are going to be until they show up on track before I had to actually calculate them and send them to you. And... This week felt like, well, first of all, after Friday night, I called you, and I 
you know, you start thinking about what you're going to talk about on the podcast, and the Marinelli-Joseph match felt like that was going to have to be the lead story until Kuhn and Snyder wrestled, but it felt like Ohio State might pass Penn State, you know, because Ohio State took a couple hits uh, in that duel, and then, or Penn State did, excuse me, versus Iowa, and then Ohio State lost. Both those teams are literally coming back to the crowd, but they're just so far ahead, I don't see how it's going to make a difference. And then one of the other things that I thought was kind of interesting is I looked at a couple teams, kind of see, like, you know, where they are, and it feels like a team like Oklahoma State, and if you want to at some point today, we can or can't, but it feels like they are literally, I think they're ranked accurately, but it feels like, as opposed to a year ago where they were at their ceiling in the rankings, it feels like a lot of these spots, they're in their basement and can only do better at nationals. So they're kind of lying in the weeds at 45 and a half. But if somebody bet me, do you think they're going to score 46 or more, you know, placement and advancement points at nationals? I think I would certainly say they would do better than that. Well, let's take a run through the rankings, the major bullet points. Uh, give us a lowdown of what changed in the rankings this week. Obviously, we, we have the two big changes there at the top, but also uh, some other big uh, individual movement within the top 10 at several weights. Right. Um, to kind of, you know, we'll save the bigger stuff at the end, 141 and 49. And I'm just really focusing on the top 16. There were no changes. Uh, at 125, Drew Matten lost twice, so he dropped a few spots. At 157, Tyler Berger lost to uh, Andrew Crone, so they, they kind of met in the middle in that 12-13 area. And then um, Van Brill took a loss as well. At 184, Ricky Robertson lost to Taylor Venz and Emery Parker, so that shot those guys back up. At 197, Corey Grigo lost. And then we had Frank Mattias 8 and Cash Wilkie ninth. And Mattias lost. Now, he lost to Darmstead, which generally what happens if you lose to somebody ranked above you, it doesn't hurt you at all. But we also, if we're ranked one spot apart, we almost always give it to the guy that won the head-to-head. The reason why we hadn't done that previously with Wilkie over Matty Ace in the Midlands Finals was because Matty Ace had this great win over Darmstead. Well, you know, that win gets wiped out when he gets, you know, majored, you know, this weekend. So Wilkie flip-flop with Matty Ace. A lot of times that doesn't matter. Like 9 and 10 don't matter, but 8 and 9 matter because it's a three and a half point bump for Iowa. They're in a three and a half point drop for Penn there, obviously. At heavyweight, besides the Coon Snyder match, um, Desi B. Butler and Sean Streck lost, so that had some impact. I guess if we can, and then at 74, kind of going from the, you know, my, most minor changes to the major changes. Um, Bo Jordan lost to Amin, obviously. Horace Privish took a, a really bad, almost technical fall loss. But Bo Jordan losing kind of sped up what I thought was going to happen all along, which was that Daniel Lewis would not end up being the four seed at Nationals. Now, obviously, he's got a match with Lujan this weekend, and he still would have to beat Lujan and other guys at the MAC. But if he finished undefeated, I found it really hard to see that he wasn't going to be at least the three seed. Um, the way that the bracket stands now, it's kind of crazy, though. He would have Bo Jordan in the quarters and Mark Hall in the semis. I don't know if he got any bargains there. And Zahid Valencia just continues to impress as well. I mean, he absolutely took Jordan Cutler apart. Um, Amin bumps from six to five, and he, that puts him in the top half of the bracket if these were the seeds with Cutler in the quarters and Zahid in the semis. So I'm not really sure that helps him either because he's had – closer matches with Hall and Jordan than he has against Zahid. Um, at 133, Stevan Misik beat Pletcher, beat him convincingly. So the decision was, this is always the decision. Do you move the bottom guy above the top guy? Do you move the top guy above the bottom guy? Or do you meet him in the middle? And Misik's body of work since Vegas has been ultra impressive. You and I have mentioned him several times on the show. And he avenged the loss to Pletcher. So really, in terms of seeding, his only loss is to DeSanto that would count. Uh, DeSanto had a good win over Terrell. So Misik bumped all the way up to two. Pletcher just dropped one spot to three. 
and then Montori Bridges, Parker, Cade Brock, all dropped from three, four, five to four, five, six. Um, the last weight, I have never in my life seen this. The top eleven guys all had to be re-ranked, and twelve through twenty-five didn't change at all. And that was really crazy to me. So, if you work from the bottom up, Richie Lewis beat Wanzek. And Isaiah White beat Evan Wick, but Isaiah White's got a problem because he's lost to Lewis, Wanzek, and Massa, so he can't really move above any of those guys. But Lewis moved from 11 to 9, Wanzek dropped from 9 to 10, and Logan Massa, um, even though he beat Deshaun Campbell, dropped from 10 to 11. At the top half of this, Isaiah Martinez bumped from 2 to 1, Marinelli bumped from 5 to 2. This was kind of a hard decision. Vincenzo went from one to three, and McFadden is undefeated but dropped three to four. And I, I would love to talk to you about this when we get later on about how this thing will get seeded at nationals on multiple scenarios. But Marsteller dropped from four to five. Walsh bumped from seven to six. Chandler Rogers bumped from eight to seven. And Evan Wick dropped from six to eight for losing to Isaiah White. So those are... And then uh, we mentioned that, you know, Cam Kelly also lost at 133. But those are really the bullet points of what happened. And those changes at 65 and, uh, you know, 33, 65, and 97 really had a big impact on some of those team scores that, that you had mentioned, you know, maybe five minutes ago. That's uh, certainly interesting stuff, David, to, to take a look every week at how uh, just the minor movements in, or, or I shouldn't even say the minor, but uh, movement inside the top 10 or top eight of the team rankings has such Small a movements can make big changes. domino yeah. effect on this team team race right now. Um, you know, we're seeing it. Uh, we've seen it here in the last uh, month or so with the top two teams, but uh, certainly we've seen it from, you know, all 15 weeks of the teams that are three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. So, and then uh, certainly on down, but... Uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, I guess before we move on, we should uh, give another uh, shout to our sponsor from Resolite. The pod this podcast is sponsored by Resolite Sports Products, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats from Resolite Sip Mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system to Resolite's exclusive DigiPrint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. Well, David, as we mentioned, uh, what a fun weekend in college wrestling. You know, and <laughs> tremendous dual meets. Uh, Ohio State in Michigan was one that... Uh, you know, so many talking points from that duel. I mean, if we just stopped at, at 133, you know, we, we could go on and on about that match. And, and you mentioned that Michich has been on fire here for, you know, the better portion of the year once he kind of got that. Uh, if you want to give him a mulligan for uh, Cliff Keen, Las Vegas, uh, he's been, We didn't. He just had to earn his way back. Right. He has, right? Right. right absolutely. He is, uh, he's caught fire here in the last couple months. And then you kind of carry it on, and uh, uh, 57, man, what a, what an incredible match that was from from the beginning. Just uh, Pantaleo coming out and pancaking Jordan to his back, almost putting him away, and then uh, Micah kind of getting back in the match there for a little bit and looking like maybe, you know what, that he might have a chance to uh, come back and pull this thing out yet. And uh, Pantaleo gets a score late to, to put that one away. Uh, 65, uh, I, Massa's story to me has been really interesting because I thought uh, coming into the year that that guy was, he was a surefire title contender and, you know, battled through some injuries, taking some lumps here. Uh, do you see him factoring into the title race again? Can he get, uh, can he get yeah, over the hump? I think he's a dark horse, right? Like, I think it all depends on his health. Like, I 100% agree with you when I was thinking about last year. You know, coming into this year, you felt like, okay, it's Vincenzo, who I think, at least in my mind, I kind of underrated. Imar, who I was thinking about this as we prepared to speak today. 
I don't think we've talked about IMAR all year, which is kind of insane. And then it felt like if they are tier one, tier one and a half was Massa. And, you know, the injuries have obviously prevented him from having his kind of season. Um, I, I also think that match was very telling. It feels like Deshaun Campbell's going to have to improve pretty dramatically to get on the podium because that weight is pretty deep, one through eight or nine or ten. I mean, when Isaiah White is ranked 12, that's pretty tough. You know, I think Anthony Valencia is like 15. I mean, that that's a tough, tough weight. And that's kind of where we had Deshaun Campbell when he transferred over. Like, he was around a 24 guy or 16 the year before. You, you would hope, if you're Ohio State, that he would jump levels, and it hasn't happened yet. I also thought... And it's always easy to play Monday morning quarterback, but I, I guarantee if Joe McFarland had his choice, he would not have challenged the 25 because I think that might have made a difference at 84. Um, you know, I think that, you know, they're, they're, the one thing I see with the challenges this year is they're, they're tending to benefit the aggressive guy. Which is and good. So, right? I think we all think that's great, right? But I also think you have to know when you're challenging, am I on the aggressive side or am I on the passive side of this argument? If I'm on the passive side, what are the odds that I'm really going to get this win? And if I'm not going to get this win, is it worth taking this chance? And I'm not sure that they would have won the challenge at 84. I mean, I don't know. What Did you did you think it was a takedown at the end there with uh, Avenatter and Miles Martin, like a flash takedown? Uh, I, I don't know. I didn't think so. Um, I, I didn't think so. I know if he had a half second more, it was going to be a takedown. <laughs> yeah, I think what a wild sure, flurry, right? huh? Wasn't that awesome? Yeah, and I think Avenatter. I don't. I won't want to say he's underrated because you know, he's knocked on the door, but hasn't been on the podium. But he might be one of the best guys in the country to never be on the podium. Absolutely. You know, I think that's a fair statement. You know, and and you know, I I guess. You know, I got to visit St. Ed's this summer, and he's from there. So, you know, you kind of learn those guys' story a little bit more. Um, you know, but he feels like he's on that tier with Ryan Price. And I think we'll figure out a lot about that that weight class this weekend with Renda wrestling, uh, Zavatsky, and Miles Martin. I know we'll dig into the schedule in a little bit. But, you know, I thought it was super cool that this meet was on ESPN, too, as well. Um I, I, I now know that the upside-down position is called the waterfall position, which is interesting. Um, besides that, I thought those guys did an awesome job. But I really just thought it was cool that it was on ESPN, uh, to you know, national coverage, not behind a paywall, nothing like that. I think that's really good for wrestling. And I think they had like 8,300 people at that, which, you know, Michigan really did a great job of pumping that up. and. They lost the duel, but they sure helped themselves. And they, they won a lot of rematches. They won two out of the three rematches from Cliff Keen. So, you know, that was good for them as well. To rewind, uh, your point about Imar is, is valid. I, yeah, I can't remember a guy that uh, has won two titles and has spent his – what, he's got two career losses, and we, we've, we're 15 weeks in, and we barely mentioned his name this year. But – that being said, the reason we haven't, he didn't wrestle Marinelli. He didn't wrestle Isaiah White. He didn't re- wrestle Richie Lewis. He didn't wrestle at Midlands. So the times where we could have had some <laughs> Imar marquee matches in there, we just haven't haven't seen them yet this year. And, and uh, you know, he, like I said, he didn't get a chance to wrestle at, uh, at Midlands. And then it uh, seems like everybody is – has uh, just the way the schedule's worked out, nobody's been healthy enough to wrestle him at the time when uh, when he, either he came into town or or they came into his domain. Yeah. So, so there's that. Uh, your point about Dominic Ab- Abinader, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely a dark horse. When you look at uh, you know what he he took Bo Nickel right down to the wire. You know, maybe should have had a. That was a that was another challenging a challenge match, right? Where we yeah. talked about maybe it would have made a difference, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so he had a, a couple instances in there where maybe you know video review reverses a call in there and puts him ahead in the final minute. Uh, but uh, certainly, he's a guy that uh, you know you're looking at guys that could really upset the bracket somewhere along the way in March, whether it be Big Tens or. NCAAs. I think I think that's a guy because 
if if you're in the Michigan camp right now, you got to be feeling pretty good about about the way he's wrestling and the way that uh, uh, you know he isn't just out there trying to keep it close against these guys that that uh, are. NCAA champs, Miles Martin, Bo Nickel. He's he's out there to win, and, and he's given him a himself a chance to win those matches. So uh, then your your another point that you made attendance through the roof right now in college wrestling. That uh, you think back to uh, what was it uh, 2002 when Iowa and Minnesota uh, set the attendance record up at the Target Center, and and uh, how many times have we gone past that now in the last 10 years it's great it's absolutely fantastic yeah i mean so right? many and, and and not just it's not like it's just iowa doing it it's it's iowa right. putting forty two thousand in, in kinnick stadium it's penn state putting sixteen thousand in the bryce jordan center and um you know selling out week after week after week in in rec rec hall it's uh ohio state putting fifteen thousand plus uh, in the Schottenstein Center, and and uh, you know we saw big crowds at Rutgers. Um, it's it's the really Rutgers cool. And Princeton Outdoor Me too. Yeah, right? yeah. It's it's really yeah. cool what uh, what kind of crowds we're drawn as a sport now for dual meets across the country. Yeah, it, our sports weird. Like we're the only ones that run. I think we're going to talk a little bit about seating at sixty five and things like that. But we're the only sport that runs one form of competition for 80, 90% of our events and then run another form of keeping score to determine our national champion. So, you know, the people that say the duels don't matter, and in one sense they absolutely don't, but in one sense they absolutely do. And I think it's really, really cool that they're blowing this stuff up. And, I mean, like, I was never even on Twitter, and I really only am on Twitter to follow wrestling stuff, but... You know, you can see all these things they're doing to, you know, all the promotion and stuff they're doing. And, I mean, like, Nebraska the other day had, like, the first people to show up. 100 people got a vest like Mark Manning wears. Like, that's really clever. And, you know, it's funny, and his wife is retweeting it and things like that. Like, it's it's cool to see, like, wrestling's kind of coming out of the Stone Ages on some of this stuff. And that's what needs to happen, right, to keep, like you're saying, you, you have such a good historical view of it because a lot of these years – you know, I was coaching, and I'd get done coaching, and then, okay, cool, who's where are the Nationals, you know? And you, you've been following it like I'm doing it with you this year for a lot of years, and your perspective is really interesting to me to see. And you see these changes and have documented a lot of them, so that's really cool. Well, we're going to be talking more about North Carolina State later in the show, but, uh, yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention what's what's going on down there and, and uh, some of the stuff that uh, Pat Papalizio and company did last week uh, for the UNC duel, I think had a marching band in there, cheerleaders, the race stage. Uh, and, and that's, that's another program that's, that's putting a lot of people in the stands. And the Italy meet, right? And I the mean, Italy the meet with Oklahoma State. State yep. Yeah. Yep. They just keep doing first. It's, 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 uh, it's so cool to see people thinking outside of the box. I, I think that part's really, really interesting. Yeah, for sure. So you want to dig in a couple of these, like this 165 seating thing a little bit? Yeah, before we move on, though, uh, we better mention Snyder and Kuhn, right? What were yeah. You, you know, yeah. What were no, your, your takeaways? Snyder and Kuhn. What, what were your impressions of the match? Well, I, you know, Kyle Klingman and I recorded a, a video segment here on Monday uh, at the uh, Gable Museum, just kind of a, a rapid wrestling recap is what we call it, or, or uh, you know, Kyle changes the name of it every week so maybe it's wrestling <laughs> rapid recap or uh but uh you know the, one of the points that i made on there because there's so much talk about you know the weight advantage and 65 pounds and you figure that out body percentage wise and it would be like a 25 pounder moving up and wrestling 57 or a 57 pounder moving up and wrestling 97 do i think that uh you know that the size played a factor yeah but i i Kyle has gone out there and beaten 280-pound guys to a pulp before. The difference is Adam Kuhn is 280 pounds. He's a freak athlete, and he's got great wrestling skill on top of it. And you combine all three of those things, and wow, what a challenge. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how this plays out because I think we're going to see it two more times. And the adjustments that Snyder and company make – 
from match one to match two, match two to match three, and, and vice versa. But it uh, feels to me like Kyle's really going to have to get to, to attack Kuhn below the knee. How about you? The big picture I thought of was this Kuhn-Schneider thing. The Big Ten is so cool because you're going to see so many of these trilogies and like at 133, maybe even a four-peat, right? You know, but yeah, so many of these repeats like, you know, Hall and Jordan and Miles Martin and Nickel and a bunch of these matches. But specifically to the Kuhn-Snyder match, first of all, I think a couple things that just impressed me how Kyle Snyder, you know, no excuses, nothing else. It impressed me that Kuhn didn't get happy when he won. Like, you know, it's like Barry Sanders, you know, split the ball to the referee like you expected to be there. Yep. I mean, I think he expected to win that match. I think that speaks volumes. I think, you know, that you're not going to win unless you think you're going to win. So that was very impressive to me. Um, I think Snyder did attack below the knee. I think there's a couple things when I thought about this watching the match, and it was on the DVR, so I got to replay it like three or four times as a coach. Number one is Kyle Snyder, one of his real strengths is he's a great hand fighter. And by that, I mean he's, he's really good in two ways. One, he uses his hand fighting to set up his attacks, but he also uses his hand fighting to get you tired. And I don't think that that's as easy for him to do against a guy who has a significant size advantage. I think it's easier for him to be worn out from good hand fighting by Kuhn than this for him to wear out Kuhn. The second thing is, and in Missouri, and these are obviously stereotypes, but in Missouri in general, when a guy shoots on a single leg, the guys defend by pushing the guy down. In Illinois, right across the river, a lot of the time they bring you up and they bring you into throws. I think most of the guys that defend Snyder try to push down, they try to sprawl, try to get away, and then his attacks are so well-placed, his head position, his hand position are so perfect, a lot like the David Taylor head and heel stuff, the same thing with Ed Ruth, that that strategy is actually the strategy that the attacking wrestler wants you to do. I think Sean Bournemouth and company and Joe McFarland realized we just bring him up. And even though they didn't score on any of those, Snyder had to spend a lot of energy to not get taken down on go-behinds two or three times. So I think that was significant. Um, and then I think the fact that Kuhn chased that throwdown, like he didn't, the takedown he got was off of a, a shot, reshot, third, third attack body lock. Like he doesn't wrestle like a lot of heavyweights and do a move and then stand around and figure out if it worked or not. Um, I thought about if I was Michigan's coaching staff, I would be encouraged like, hey, you won this match so we know you can do it again, I'd be a little discouraged because I don't think you're going to beat Kyle Snyder three out of three. I think that's going to be awfully hard. I think if you're Ohio State's coaching staff, you're like, okay, you're back from the Oregon. Um, you're done with the emotions of Penn State. Maybe we can kind of get you back on a normal sleeping pattern and, you know, maybe stop training like a madman for a couple days like they did with Colin Moore and let him recover. And I certainly think that Tervell and Snyder will figure out a new game plan, or maybe it's just concentrating more on how to execute their holds. And I think that'll be important. Um, but I don't see those matches, those next two matches being, I think they're going to be one, two, maybe three-point matches. I don't think either one of those guys is going to blow the other guy out. It, it was interesting where Snyder got in on that first head outside shot. He's been so successful lifting big guys, and he wasn't able to do that. So, yeah. um, you know, I, and I think they were pre well prepared for that. It was, but you know, it's, it's a battle. It's not a war, you know, so it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how that all plays out. So those yeah, are, and that's he's, probably a lot of thoughts, but it was really, it was, it was a fascinating match. I'll tell you that it was a fascinating match. And I was as much credit or as good as Adam Kuhn is. I don't, I'd say less than 1% of the public thought that was going to happen i think even if you're a michigan fan you were hoping it would happen but i don't think you thought it was going to happen and that's just a credit to um that's a credit to kyle snyder that's no disrespect 
So, um, you know, well, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, the point uh, you make about everything that Kyle's gone through here in the last uh, month or so is is very valid to me. I, you talk about the Oregon going thirteen hours or twelve hours away, I guess for uh, twelve twelve time zones away. Uh, yeah, basically thirty hours of travel there, thirty hours back, gets back. Uh, I don't. I, I think they bust out to Penn State. Um, probably about. I would guess probably three or four days after he got back from the Oregon, and and uh, you know, granted, Kyle Snyder's twenty-two years old and in better shape than I ever was when I was twenty-two years old. But uh, I think about the, uh, I think about how long it takes me to just get my bearings again and feel normal again after coming back from overseas, and I, I certainly wasn't traveling as far as as he was, and so. Uh, there, there's that. There's also, you know, the part about uh, Taha Akul, the uh, three-time World and Olympic champ, coming to Columbus, training with him. Uh, you wonder how much uh, his foot has been on the throttle here from a training standpoint, and maybe uh, do they do they dial it back? To your point about uh, giving him a little bit of a rest here, dial it back and get him fresh and get him peaked for March. Uh, does he? If he gets in on a, a single like that, ahead to the outside again, does he have the horsepower to get Adam Kuhn off the off the ground, off the mat, like he wasn't quite able to do Sunday? I, I think that yeah. uh, those are going to be fascinating points within the match, and then uh, certainly, uh, you know, like I said, what what adjustments are made from one side to the other? It's it's going to be a, a really interesting chess match back and forth. Couldn't agree with you more, and I think it's got a long way to go, right? So going to be really it's a chess match is the perfect term for it and i think like i won't call you this but a guy like me who kind of likes to nerd out about this stuff i think um i watched that match probably four times that night i watched it and i finished up the rankings then i watched it and i did some work and then when i couldn't go to sleep i watched it and i think i watched it again in the morning so uh because i think it would be fun to coach either one of those guys and try to try to play the chess match out and those were so I, I'll be interested to see. I'll be interested when the season is over to get a chance to talk to those coaches and I'm friends with to see how how close we were to what the adjustments are they're going to make uh, Adam, that they tried to make. Adam Kuhn has had a really interesting career. You know, when when you think about uh, what what has happened with him this time in his true freshman season, he's undefeated. Goes into the Big Ten's uh, undefeated, right? And he no, went two and out, right? Number, yeah, number one seed goes 0-2 and, and then turns around and, uh, you know, the end of his season didn't match up with the beginning of his season and then, uh, you know, makes the NCAA finals. Um, Snyder comes along and beats him in the Big Ten finals a couple years ago. He has a shoulder injury last year. He's back and now undefeated to this point. Can can he finish the deal? And, and I think – you know, so many people were already handing that NCAA title to, to Snyder coming in, right? Because probably because of you know the one-sidedness of their Big Ten championship match a couple of years ago. But well, man, people at, forget at, about him. I mean, that's the whole thing. You you forget about Coon because he redshirted, and Snyder's literally the pound for pound one number one guy in the world. So there's a good reason to think that he's going to win that. I mean, geez, you know, it's not like everybody lost their marbles and overrated this guy, right? Like, he's really, really good. He's really good who lost to a, a really good big guy, and he won't make any excuses, and Kuhn won't say he got lucky, and he didn't get lucky. He won a really close match. It just That's what happened. You know, so it's, it is going to be fascinating how it all plays out, though. Like, it's, I, I just, you know... I'm really going to be interested to see how it all shakes out, for sure. Yep, and I think you know the point I was going to make was you know the last time we saw Coon Snyder was 2016 Big Ten Championships in Iowa City, and Snyder won seven to four. I think Coon is a bigger, stronger, better version of himself from 2016. I agree. Yeah, I think he, he's he used that red shirt year wisely. He didn't just hang out. He just he got better. Yeah. For sure. 
Well, David, uh, you want to dive into anything else that happened this past weekend? Marinelli Joseph, Iowa Penn State. I think one. Yeah, Iowa Penn State, and yeah, I mean, there, there weren't a lot of upsets, right? Besides sixty-five, I mean, heavyweight was sort of an upset in the rankings, but I mean, those guys are one or two slots apart, and you know, it's, it was a one-move match, and I mean, that's a lot of heavyweight, so it wasn't shocking. Um, I think it'd be frustrating to be Brandon Sorensen to be that good and just have been born around the same time as Zane Rutherford. I mean, I think that that's tough. Uh, Penn State is dynamic. I think Mark Hall and Bo Nickel must place side bets with each other when they know they're going to beat somebody, like how fast they're going to get it done because they're impressive. Um, but to me, the shakeout of this, it's really interesting, is how 165 is going to get seated at Big Tens and then how it's going to get seated at Nationals. So, like, you're a smart guy. When that match happened, like, in, in those terms, what kind of thoughts popped into your head there? Uh, as far as seeding goes, yeah, I, I started wondering about that too. And I think, uh, obviously, you want to be the one, right? I mean, it feels like, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't yeah. want to run into Vincenzo Joseph in the Big Ten semis if you don't have to. Right. And yeah. uh, same thing from uh, from the national, from the NCAA championship standpoint. And you raised the point about McFadden. Could he sneak in there? And and if – if uh, Let's say Joseph comes comes back and wins the Big Tens. Can McFadden sneak in and and grab the one seed and and have the other Big Ten guys sitting there at two, three, four? I I think that is a legitimate possibility, right? Like if you kind of go, who controls your des- their own destiny for number one seed? It feels like certainly Imar does, right? If he wins out, he'd be the one seed. It feels like if Marinelli wins out, he'd be the one seed. And I, I don't know. I don't think if McFadden wins out, but one of those other guys do. I think, I think IMR, the, an undefeated Big Ten winner would get the number one seed over McFadden. Yep. Um, I don't know if you agree with that, I but do. I, do. I do. I think that. Um, so then I think it becomes okay if Vincenzo won, who would be the one? And, um, I mean. McFadden would have the best winning percentage, and he has a really good RPI right now. I think it would really come down to how the coaches vote that. And I think that's a tough vote, right? Like, let's say that Vincenzo wins, and he beats Imar in a a nail-biter, and Imar beats Marinelli in a nail-biter in the semis. So they really feel like they're really, really close, right? Like, if you wrestled them and threw them in a snow globe three different times, all three guys could win. So... If you're voting, do you say, okay, well, McFadden's undefeated. He goes above all of them. Do you go, McFadden's undefeated, but those guys all feel so close, and I don't think he's quite as good as them, so we put him below all of them? Or do you start trying to split the difference and go, McFadden's undefeated, so I'm going to put him behind. I'm going to put him behind the conference winner, but not the other two. And I think the voting is going to have a lot to do with that, and I think you can kind of – I don't think you're wrong on how you vote almost no matter what. So, you know, McFadden's really good. He's beat everybody ahead of him. And I, we've talked about this a couple times. Like, schools that wrestle really good schedules, most of these top ten schools do, but sometimes it's just the way your schedule works out of your weight class where you don't hit a lot of the top ten guys. I mean, one year John Morrison at Oklahoma State the year as a senior where he didn't medal he was ranked really high all year. The only guys he wrestled in the top 12 was Tony Ramos and Jimmy Goulibon. And I think Cody Brewer. Cody Brewer's and then Cody Brewer's and one ended up upsetting him at national, but he was like 8-0 and against him or something before that, but he didn't hit any of the other guys. And then you look at, like, Zahid this year, and Zahid's wrestled everybody. I mean, he's wrestled, except for Daniel Lewis, he's wrestled Hall, he's wrestled Cutler, he's wrestled Amin, he's wrestled Jordan. I think he wrestled Lujan or somebody who beat Lujan and Bernstein out at Vegas. He's wrestled subject. I mean, he's wrestled everybody in the top nine except for Daniel Lewis. I mean, and a lot of these guys multiple times. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. And I don't even know if the seeds matter that much as much as matchups. You know, right? Like, you know, it's, it's a style thing, right? Like, um, I think... 
Marinelli is the most defensive wrestler of those four. You reminded me Marinelli beat McFadden this summer in freestyle, correct? Yeah, out of Vegas. Right. Fila Juniors. So, I mean, I guess, I don't know if any of those other guys have hit. Um, it's going to have a lot to do with the team race, too. Uh, and I think that's going to be an adjustment match, too, if Joseph wrestles Marinelli. Um, you know, he won, he got one shot from open and he won the body lock position once. And then the last time he kind of trusted his hips a little too much and got, and let Marinelli get a little tighter than in hindsight, he probably wanted him. That was a so pretty slick, uh, move by Marinelli to thread that right arm through in that opening there. Yeah. Yeah. It was well done. It was well done. And, you know, you can tell he's been in that position before and it, at playing on that. I, I don't think you can beat Vincenzo Joseph without being ready to wrestle upper body, though, right? And you and I have talked about this. Like, I, He's too good at wrestling in his positions. I don't think you can avoid those positions for seven minutes. I mean, that's how he, he got Imar. And you, and you point this out repeatedly, and you're right. Even if he hadn't gotten that throw, and even if he had gotten that throw at Nationals and not pinned him, in either case, he was winning before that scramble. It would have been winning by even more after that scramble or that move. But Vincenzo forces you to wrestle up there. So you're going to have to – you have to learn how to either score there or get out of there without getting warned or without getting taken down or, and put on your back. So, I mean, Real he, quick, he Marinelli – wrestle there. Just looking, Marinelli beat uh, McFadden both in Vegas and out in Lincoln at the Junior World Team Trials. Okay. So Yeah. And, and Marinelli's not like a big leg lace or gut wrencher, so you know, yeah. I don't know that he'd really wrestled any freestyle prior to uh, Vegas. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's it's mostly a takedown game, I guess, is kind of what we're saying. Right. You know that right. it wasn't like he got one takedown and, and laced him four times. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I how would you see the Big Tens? What would you do? Uh, that's going to be really interesting to to see how that gets. How they get seated because you get the guy with and, and you know the way that the Big Tens are seated at least uh, unless something change has changed uh, unbeknownst to me is you know it goes with the pre seeds right where all the coaches submit their uh, their seedings and and then if uh, I think if something is tied or what is it within a point maybe they can open it up uh, for a vote on the Friday before the uh, at the coaches meeting before. Uh, the conference tournament at least that's the way it, it's always been uh, to my knowledge since i've been covering the big 10 and so i think you're going to see two schools of thought right i mean you're going to see the one that uh, they look at it like well isaiah's got the uh two ncaa titles three-time big 10 champion two career losses he's got three plus three and a half years of track record and give him credit for that and i think there are going to be others that see uh uh, Marinelli that uh, you know who he has beat this year we we talked about it earlier in the show just you know for one reason or another Imar just hasn't run into uh, any of the the other top guy or many of the other top guys in the Big Ten and so you're looking at uh, just on this season's body of work probably Marinelli's is is a little bit more impressive uh, he wasn't healthy enough to wrestle when uh, Imar uh, came to Carver Hawkeye Arena, and then Imar wasn't healthy, healthy enough to wrestle when Marinelli was at the Midlands. And so, you know, their paths have not crossed yet. Uh, it's just it's just strange. As, you know, it's really strange to me. As, you know, we talk about the depth of the Big Ten and how eight, nine guys uh, at that, you know, we, we talked earlier in the year about one point, like it looked like Richie Lewis might be like the eight or nine seed. And here he is, a U23 world champ. Uh, he has since moved up the ladder, uh, but uh, it just speaks volumes to the the depth of that weight class. But yet, it's been really odd that Imar just you know has not run into a lot of these guys. So yeah, yeah. I I my gut feel is that Imar probably will get the one seed, but I don't know. Then you start wondering, do some coaches uh, you know, play the game a little bit and try to get uh, the matchups that they want or the matchup that they think are going to help uh, them in the team race a little bit more. You, you never know which which way uh, some coaches are going to vote, uh, whether they're going to 
they're going to play it straight or whether they're going to, you know, with what they they believe and be consistent from 125 to heavyweight with how they rank these guys or if, you know, they're going to try to do what's best for their team and where, the, where they see it that uh, will help them the most. Yeah, I, I, I think that how they do the rankings or seedings there is really interesting because it's kind of a credibility thing, right? Like if you vote a bunch of really dumb crap and like just go in as an knucklehead and vote all 10 of your guys number one, I think they almost would probably just disregard you, you know, but um, it seems like they're almost on, you know, the honor code there and it works out, you know, really well. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I, but here's the thing, like here's what people really may not understand. The, those seedings are only based on your conference results, correct? They're not based on your outside matches. It's it's really only how you did against those other 13 guys, correct? I'm not 100% sure on that one. I think that well, that's I I mean I think that that's based on the way that I've understood it in the past. It's it's been priority number 1. But uh I think I asked McFarlane about this like a year or two ago just for my own thought process and that was what um he had told me. So you know, I think if we go off of that, you know, so in other words, what's really interesting is Marinelli has really, really put together an effective body of work for a guy that didn't start wrestling till this, you know, more or less after Christmas, well, I mean, really after Christmas, I mean, he's managed to hit a lot of good guys and beat all of them. He hasn't always done it in a pretty way, but he's getting his hand raised every time. And and there's a lot to be said for that. So, I think there's more. I think I think he's got more in the tank too. I mean, I think uh, you know, obviously everybody sees the the huge knee brace that uh, he's wearing, and you know, battling some injuries. And uh, I, I think there is more there, more offense there that we're not seeing that uh, maybe we will see in the years to come. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, nobody's as good as. What, everybody's better as, should be better as a senior than they are as a freshman. I think he'll continue to open up and open up for sure. He's finding a way to win now. I mean, I think, yeah, it's not a criticism. Gosh, I wish I was as no, good no. as Alex Marinelli was at any point in my life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and he's only going to get better. Um, so, you know, he's he's a special kid and he's got a lot of guts and a lot of courage. And he's really has great composure in those moments. Like there's a lot of guys that when he was losing five to three like that would have maybe panicked or forced something. And he just stuck with what he was doing, you know? So, um, yeah, I was, I was impressed. I was surprised. I mean, those, you know, I think I wasn't surprised that it was a close match. I was surprised that after those two takedowns, he was able to get a six-point move. And I think people, if they watch the match, need to understand that he got that six-point move. It wasn't like Vincenzo threw himself to his back and he got lucky and fell on him. Like, that's not what happened. You know, so. Well, David, we got a lot coming up this week. Is there anything you want to touch upon as far as a rewind goes before we move on to what's coming up this weekend? No, I just, um, no, not really. Uh well, one thing, um, I, I think, I, you know, we before we get into this week's schedule, um, I just want to send out thoughts and prayers to Austin Reese, I think on behalf of you and me and all the people at Track Wrestling. He had a scary situation in the old Dominion duel. He's the 174-pounder from the University of Ohio. Um, I've, I've talked to people, and he, his health is okay now, but it was it was scary to see, and, and they stopped that duel. They didn't even finish it. So um, just thoughts and prayers to that young man, and, um, you know, obviously we hope he can wrestle again, but really just hope he has a full recovery and, and has a healthy life because what happened was, was I talked to some people that were actually in the meet and they said it was it was pretty scary. So um, at the end of the day, these, these schools compete really hard against each other, but um, and we're a big, like you call us, we're a big dysfunctional family. So, But we're a family. Um, as part of his family. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. So thoughts and prayers to, to his family, him, and the University of Ohio, for sure. I think that's important to, to get out there, for sure. Well, as we move on to what's upcoming 
this week. There's some big-time duels on the schedule. UNC, Cornell, Virginia Tech, North Carolina State. Missouri is coming to town up here to the Cedar Valley to take on Northern Iowa. NC State, Ohio State. Iowa, Iowa State might not have the shine that it once did, but that's going to be interesting because of the parties involved in the new regime in Ames. What is at the top of your list on the must-watch list this weekend, David? Uh, I mean, I, I just look at individual matches. I mean, because those are what, you know, change the rankings. So, like, for me, just kind of picking out a couple matches, like, first of all, probably the two most frustrating guys to rank, Jake Short and B.J. Claggett, and they're going to wrestle each other. Um, Yanni wrestles Headley. Freddie Stroker wrestles Monday, and Womack wrestles Ramos, and Darmstead wrestles Chade in that duel. Um, Jordan Cutler is going to wrestle Yoante Mejias, and these are all obviously if they're healthy and everything. Uh, Jack Mueller, Dom Flores, uh, in the Virginia Tech NC State duel, Gustafson and Tariq Wilson, uh, Solomon Shishko, Hayden Heidley, Zach Sabatsky, P. Renda, Jared Haught, Machiavello. Those are huge matches. Those last two, especially, both, you know, all top six, seven guys. Um, then uh, Tyler Berger, Paul Fox, and their dual meet. In the Mizzou, you and I meet, um, or from your perspective, the you and I do, Mizzou dual meet. Um, Barlow McGee wrestles Schwarm. Ironman wrestles Alber. Leith wrestles Thompson. Daniel Lewis wrestles Lujan. Canton Marriott wrestles Drew Foster. Willie Miklas, Jacob Holschlag. Um, Eliezer DeLuca will wrestle uh, Matt Kalazdik. Um Dom Forrest has a big weekend. Besides the one we talked about, he hits Scotty Parker. Um, Central Michigan, Michigan, Mason Smith, Sal Profaci. Justin Oliver against Little Amin. Christian Brookie against Big Amin. Jordan Ellenwood against Abinader. And then that big duel at the end, the, uh, the Sunday afternoon Ohio State-NC State duel. Uh, Tomasello, Sean Fawes, Joey McKenna, Kevin Jack. Micah Jordan, Hayden Heidley, um, and then two huge matches, Miles Martin, Pete Renda, Colin Moore, Machiavello. So um, I, there's a lot there to kind of get excited about, and um, I think I'm going to miss all the Friday-Saturday matches because I'll be at Columbia, but, you know, I'm certainly going to watch the results, and, you know, I'm gonna, I hope Sunday we can, you know, there's a way to watch that one because that's going to really be a fun one to see. Well, yeah, that's. So uh, uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say, those are going to have a lot of those matches that you mentioned, David, are going to have implications on your fantasy teams in March. <laughs> that's what we call a segue. Yeah, exactly. For all those people that are putting your fantasy teams together, Go to fantasygrade.com and enter the Ultimate Fantasy Wrestling Challenge. If you know more than about wrestling than your friends and people from around the country, prove it. Go to fantasygrade.com, enter the live event in Cleveland on March 14th, the online event, or both. Prove how smart you are and support amateur wrestling at the same time. Go to fantasygrade.com today and enjoy wrestling even more. And it is true. Like, you know, like I used to nerd out and kind of look at these rankings that other folks did for years and it's kind of what generated us working together on this is like I, I think there's some you know I guess in my, my line of work some market inefficiency some things were wrong and you know we try our best to get them right it's, it's hard to do there's a lot of data out there but these headline matches you know a lot of times you know like if you've beaten eight guys and then I beat you I it helps me just because like okay well you know Hamilton was X and one, you know, or so-and-so, you know, I mean, like, that's how you do the, that's how initially how a lot of these rankings go. So a couple of these guys that haven't hit a ton of studs this year, it really, they, they can really make statements in a lot of these matches. And for most of these teams, well, I mean, really, like, we get the schedules laid out. After Sunday, there's only one dual meet on Wednesday, and then there's nothing till the conference tournaments. And all the conference tournaments are two weeks, two and a half weeks away, except the Pac-12. So, you know, this is the last time we'll see them. We'll certainly have ranking discussions to talk or changes, I'm sure, to talk about this time next week. And the week after, the only changes will be, you know, 
from what the Pac-12 results are. So it's, it really is getting down to, you know, nutcracking time where it really matters for sure. David, uh, news that uh, broke while we were recording the podcast. Uh, the draw is out for the United States for the World Cup. U.S. draws Japan, Georgia, and Iran World Cup April 7th and 8th in Carver Hawkeye Arena in Iowa City. It's going to be streamed live on track wrestling. Really looking forward to that. One of my favorite events. Giddy up for that. That's year. awesome. So, Japan, Georgia, Iran, and who's on the other side? Oh, let's see. Be that, Russia for sure, right? Yeah, Russia is. Um, Cuba is on that other side. Let me see if I can pull up my document that has it. Trying to remember. Well, while you're looking at Kaz- that, Kazakhstan one of the other maybe is that, the other. Azerbaijan, you said? No. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think Azerbaijan is that other team. Yeah. Cuba, okay. Azerbaijan, Russia, and. Uh, I think maybe Kazakhstan is the other one. Yeah. Well, one of the things that struck me when, you know, I try to just rank all 10 weights as accurately as I can. I try to look at it from a micro point of view. I don't try to look at the team points, and I don't try to look at just anything overall because the overall should just take care of itself. But when you're done with the rankings and, you then you know, you look at them like online, Ohio State, this is the first time all year they've had no number one seeds, correct? Yeah. Or no, number one ranks, excuse me. We're not seed ranks. And, you know, that's – I don't think they can win the tournament without any champions. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, so, well, I shouldn't say without any champions, but, boy, I don't know. Minnesota won it. Minnesota scored, uh, what was it, 138 points with no finalists yeah. in 2001. But ten right. All Americans, so I think there is a okay. path, but they can't have some of these guys that are outside the top eight finishing outside the top eight if they don't have champs. I think it's got to be they're going to have some some guys that uh, are standing on top of the podium, or they've got to win it with numbers. But I think it's it's got to for Ohio State to do it. They've got to uh, they have to lean on their numbers advantage. Right, but I think realistically it's easier for Tomasello to go from four to one. It's easier for, uh, for uh, Colin Moore to go from two to one. It's easier for Kyle Snyder to go from two to one. Maybe not easier, but more realistic than Tayshawn Campbell going from 14, you know, to in the top eight. I mean, I think those are just, you know, those passes you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, when we've got everybody else from them, is generally is in the top eight. They just, you know, it's going to be tough. Like, it's really weird. It feels like Penn State is kind of doing what they did, you know. Like, it's different. Penn State started number one this year, but then, like, they fell behind. And you said it right at the beginning of the rankings part of this podcast where they, they seem like there are small changes in the terms like, oh, Andy jumped from seven to five. Well, that's three and a half points. And if you jumped the guy from the team that you're that you're in contention with, that guy probably lost two or three points. That can be, you know, Vincenzo lost six and a half points on the grid this week. I mean, he's not any worse as a wrestler. He, he lost one scramble, but that dropped him from 20 to 13 and a half. You know, and... and I mean, I always told guys, and I and I talk about it in life, like life is one-point matches. You know, like whether you get the deal, whether you talk to the right person, whether you whether you win or lose in a lot of walks in life, they're one-point matches. It's just being a little bit better. And that's – I think this is really yep. true with Ohio State and Penn State. I think it's going to come down to a couple things like that, like uh, Tomasello getting through in the semis, uh, a Joey McKenna definitely getting on the podium, a Campbell upsetting somebody he's supposed to. You know, I think they're going to need those things to happen because Penn State has proven they don't underperform at nationals. I mean, they just don't. I don't know if they're going to score points at 25 or 33, but... And I think the other part of it is this. Like, we still have Nolf at one, right? And we don't know what version of Nolf we're going to get. Right. But that obviously changes things dramatically because Nolf isn't worth 20 points. Nolf is worth 26 or 27 points when he's healthy. And that's... If you said to me right now... Will Penn State 
beat Ohio State by 27 points, I don't think they will. I, I mean, I, it's a guess, obviously, but I don't think they will. And so if you say, okay, well, then Nolf's a zero. Like, we know now today that he's not going to wrestle at all. Then I think Ohio State's, even as weird as it is with how they've performed the last two weekends, they're still a slight, slight favorite. But if if Nolf wrestles and he's 100%, if he's 100%, I don't even think it matters where he's seated. You know, right. it's just going to, it's somebody else is going to get a, a terrible draw. Right. So, right. yeah. Well, David, uh, anything else for this week? No, sir. Um, just looking forward looking forward to going to the state tournament. I, I I appreciate the relationship with track wrestling to 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 get to do some of these things. Um it's, it's thirty years since I wrestled in that tournament literally this weekend, so that's that'll be one, I'm really old, and two, it'll be really cool to go. So Well, we're looking forward to the content coming in from Columbia, the interviews that you're gonna be sending our way. And I'll have some stuff from Wells Fargo Arena in Des Moines. We're going to have highlights and stories on our state tournament hub from state tournaments all across the country. I think there's upwards of a dozen of them that are going to be streaming live on track wrestling this week. You'll be able to uh, purchase uh, pass to watch all of those tournaments, or you can purchase them individually watch to watch live and or on demand. So check that stuff out. And that'll do it for this week's edition of Weighing In for David.